life. Infinitely fragile, and yet often deceptively mundane, somehow in the same space. Or more like the same time. Time. The most precious currency we have, no matter how hard a bargain you drive, you can never get it back. We trade it for people and power and things, hoping that in the end we'll understand what it means to live. But sometimes the end is a surprise, one we couldn't predict or expect, regardless of all our calendars and notifications, there are still some things beyond the reach of our front right pocket. So, if the author of time and of space stood before you today, and with the words of his son, he told you that your soul was required of you, not this night, but in 35 minutes. If your heart was laid down in its proverbial deathbed and you had this one final opportunity to leave a word of wisdom and of passion with those you loved most, what message would burn inside you worth the finite breaths and fleeting moments you have left? Just to clarify, women's prayer is at 9 a.m., not 8.30. You get an extra half hour to sleep in. Maybe you're here this morning because you're supposed to go to church on Sunday. Maybe you're here this morning because a family member brought you here. Maybe you're here on vacation and you just are dropping by. Maybe you've never experienced the presence of God, but I want to tell you that what you sense this morning is real. It is the unmistakable love of Jesus that he so passionately cares for you. And he says to you, I love you. I have a plan for you. I'm watching over you. And he desperately wants you to be in relationship with him. And when the song says that we're desperate for him, sometimes we don't realize how desperate we are for him. And so my admonition as we begin this morning is for you to sync up with Jesus and what he wants to do in your life, in Jesus' name, because he has something for you this morning. You are not here by accident. I know it's a long weekend, but he has a design and a plan, and this is a divine intersection this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the staff pastors here. And as I, first of all, if you have a Bible, in the old days we used to hold the Bible up in the air. Bless God. Now hold your phones up in the air. Go to 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 2 is where we're going to be. We're in the midst of a series called Deathbed Series. And honestly, I'm closer chronologically to my deathbed than the rest of the presenters in this series. <laughs> it's interesting about deathbed. The last words of a dying man tell a great deal about him. 
President George Washington. His last words, doctor, I'm dying, but I am not afraid to die. He then folded his hands over his chest and said, it is well, and died. Winston Churchill, you remember him, the English statesman? Famous for one line. Remember what that line is? Never, never, never give up. Do you know what his last words were? I'm convinced there is no hope. Charles Darwin, the father of evolution, on his deathbed said, I regret that I suggested a theory and that gullible men gobbled it up as though it were fact. I never intended that. Charles Dickens, the author, he said, I commit my soul to the mercy of God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and I exhort my dear children to humbly try to guide themselves by the teaching of the New Testament. Amen. And then there's this man in the Bible. We're going to study a little bit about this man in the Bible today. His name is David, King David, in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die. I know we don't like to talk about it, but do you realize that everybody in this room is going to have a service and you're going to be the guest of honor? It's going to be your celebration of life. It is appointed unto man once to die and then comes the judgment. And Jesus said, oh, he that believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And so in order to live, you have to die. And when you die, you get to live. Whoa, is that cool? Now, our, our finite minds can't get around that. How does that happen? Neither do I know how you put a seed into the ground and you bury it and you, and you, you sink it in there and somehow it, it gets life and it comes to life because it died. And there's something about us when we die to the will and to the perfect will of Jesus that we will come to life. When we come submitting our will to his will, that we will eventually, we will come to life and life everlasting is what the scripture says. So David goes on to say that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son. He said, I go the way of all the earth. So therefore, Solomon, be strong. Prove yourself a man. Don't be wimpy. Don't cop out. Don't cheese out. Don't chill out. Don't quit. Be a man. Stand up and be a leader and lead the way. And keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and his testimonies. And as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Have you ever noticed that life just seems to fall apart? <laughs> Remember as little kids we had this dream of what we were going to be and what we are going to do. I'm going to be a pilot. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. Well, I wanted to be a Billy Graham, honestly. And I just wanted to preach, and then thousands of people would come to Jesus. And then all I would say is, come walk the long, long altar. And let Jesus transform your life. Well, that hasn't happened. But I have still fulfilled the call of God on my life for what he's purposed me to do. You ever notice that 
Life has twists and turns, and you just need courage to live your life with all the things that happen to us. Honey, this season that we're in right now, in my 63 years, I have never experienced a season like we're in now. But you know what I can say? God is in control. Say that with me. God is in control. He still is. He knew it. You know what? You know what? One thing you never hear in heaven? Uh Uh-oh. You don't ever hear that in heaven because he knows he's in control. And I just have a sense that we just might be on the verge of a revival of what God wants to do. And finally, he do I have your attention yet? <sighs> Courage is not the absence of fear, but it's acting and moving forward in spite of it. Courage can't see around corners, but courage goes around the corners anyways. Courage is acting in the knowledge that God has the power and he has the control to change any situation or he can redeem any failure that you've ever had. That's what courage in the Lord Jesus Christ will do. Last few weeks, I've been walking through some graveyards in Coeur d'Alene and Post Falls. Yeah, I just went there and parked my car and started walking. I was looking for something particular on the headstones. I love headstones. Because they really reveal something about the person. And I've got a few headstones I want to show you. The first one is this one. It is uh, Gordon Miller. Just look what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. (sighs) He's long gone. When did he pass away? 2017. Not super long. He's kind of like my age. He was born in 59. I was born in 57. And look what his last words are for people to walk by and remember that I have fought the good fight. The next one is a young lady by the name of Mary Epke. And she says these words, In God is my hope, I will not be disappointed. As a young lady who, who left this earth in 2010, isn't that a wonderful thing for her to have to say on her little headstone? I was looking for something in particular that I actually didn't find in three hours of looking, but I found it on the internet. You know, when all else fails and you need wisdom, go to Google. So go ahead. Tom Landry, if you're, you have to be old enough to know who he is, was. He, was. he was America's coach for the Dallas Cowboys when they were a Christian team. And uh, he says on his thing, well done, good and faithful servant. Wouldn't that be a great thing to have on our headstone when we're done our life? That someone would say of us in our service, in our celebration, well done, good and faithful servant. They say that when you come to your final moments in your life, that your life flashes before your, your eyes. And you start remembering things and seeing things about your life. When it comes to that moment in our lives, when our life, our journey is finished here on earth, sometimes that happens without warning. And sometimes we have warning. A doctor says you have two years to live, you have six months to live, you have three weeks to live. And sometimes we have warning and we can prepare for it and have everything all taken care of. And other times there is no warning. It just happens out of the blue. My dad used to say, sudden death, sudden glory. For the believer. If you go suddenly, it's a sudden death and it's a sudden glory. At the age of 39... On July 27th, 1996, my father died suddenly of a heart attack. He was 61 years old. 
I now have outlived him. He was recovering from a colostomy in a Vancouver, British Columbia hospital. And while he was recovering, he went to cardiac arrest and they could not revive him and he passed away. When I got the news, I was in the midst of doing a wedding in Littleton, Colorado and I got the phone call from my sister. I could barely even understand what my sister was saying because she could only get two words out of her mouth and the words were, Dad died. Sent me into a depression for about six months. I was not a good person to be around. I was like buried in a hole. I was in my cave. I was dealing with fear and anxiety and depression. And and it was just a really difficult time. And I realized during that time that there were some things in my life that I needed to deal with. One of those being my own mortality. Folks, you, you guys that are young, Eli, one day that hair is going to turn a different color. Or you won't have any hair on there. You all think that the seasons don't change. Honey, the the seasons change. You get older. Things aren't as tight. They sag. The bones, they crack. I mean, it's not just Rice Krispies. When you get up from the table, there's different sounds that happen with your body. There's just different things that take place in your life because the seasons change. And that's how God designed it. When you reflect on your life, somehow things come into perspective. And it's good to have perspective. Because the things that we think are really important, the things that we think matter, really don't matter at all. You know, if Netflix would just load up quicker, we think that's really important that we watch our TV show at the right time. If I could just get that house, if I could just get that promotion, we think those are the things that really matter. Some of the things that we take for granted are actually the most important things in life. The things that are right in front of us every day, our spouse, our family, our pastor, our churches, our friends, Some of those things are actually the most important things in our life that we take for granted. As I've looked at the perspective of my life over over these decades, one of the things I've observed is, where have all the years gone? How did all these years go by? I have a couple pictures for you. Here's one of Susan and I when we first got married. Unbelievable. Look at the hair on that guy. Look how dark it is, dude. Look how big those glasses are. Of course, Susan, beautiful, beautiful Susan. Married to her for almost 34 years. But look how we were when we were young. And then you blink an eye and we had kids. Next slide. Lindsay and Luke. Now, is that like precious moments, kids, or what? And then you blink your eye again and you're dancing with your daughter at her wedding. (laughs) That's my daughter Lindsay at her wedding in 2012. And Lindsay, if you're watching, you will always be daddy's little girl. (laughs) And then you blink again and then you're at your son's wedding. There's my little son, six foot one, Luke. Unbelievable. And you know what, Luke? You beat me one time in golf. But I want to tell you, there's still lots of tread on the tire, and you ain't done yet, son. I'm coming for you. 
Well, then you blink again, and then there's Lindsay and her family. They are pastors in uh, Cody, Wyoming. There's Shane and Lindsay and Olivia and Ellie and little Sterling up there. And they are doing a wonderful job. And it's unbelievable that they now have their own family. And then you blink again, and you realize that your son is married, and he's up in Edmonton, Alberta, and he's one of the pastors at a church up there, Luke and Jessica and Nora and little Zoe, and they have their own family. Where did the time go? And then I have a picture of me when I'm gonna, what I'm going to look like when I'm an old man. <laughs> and someone had the audacity to come to me and look at me and then look at that picture and look back at me and goes, well, what's the difference? <laughs> For real? intersections, intersections in your life, moments when it really could have been your last breath. I still remember that moment on Tuesday, March 1st, 2005 in Omaha, Nebraska. I had gone for my regular physical and I just mentioned to my doctor, hey, I'm out of breath walking upstairs. And she looks at me and says, you're not 300 pounds, so let's get you on a treadmill. Put me on a treadmill and they had to pull me off because I didn't pass. And the next day I was having a quadruple bypass. And you're sitting there in that hospital bed and you're wondering, will I ever wake up? And you begin to really assess things that are really important. And number one, you make sure your relationship with him is absolutely tight. And secondly, you want your relationship with your family to be good. Those are the two most important things, period. End of story. And then there was an, and I woke up, obviously. And then three years later, on March 24th, 2008, in Laramie, Wyoming, I was diagnosed with tongue cancer. Never smoked in my life, never drank. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. And I had tongue cancer. And the doctor decided, this is what we need to do. We need to cut a third of your tongue out. We're going to get in there, and we're going to cut your tongue up. And you know what I did in the doctor's office? Because he looked at me and says, you know what? People may not understand you after the operation is done. I said, doctor, you don't understand. I talk for a living. And if I can't talk, I'm just going to be a greeter at Walmart. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. And you're on, you're on that gurney and you're going in for the operation and you're wondering, will I ever wake up? Will I be able to talk again? Well, last I checked, I still talk. And last I checked, you can understand what I'm saying. But there will come a time when that is going to be for real. It will be my deathbed and I will transition from this life to the next life. Do you prepare for that day? Do you prepare for eternity? I think sometimes we prepare more for a vacation than we do for eternity. <sighs> Come on. Don't look at me like that. It's true. Oh, we're going to Europe and we're going to do this. We're going to Disneyland and we're going to do this. And we got all our reservations all lined up and I got all this taken care of. And what about eternity? Oh, someday. Really? I think eternity is more important than Disneyland. You missed a good chance to say glory. Wow. A couple things I've done to prepare for that day is in our home, in my office at home, I have a love drawer. And in that love drawer is all the things that Susan needs to know. Passwords, where the hidden treasure is. A map on how to get to the millions that are in the hidden treasure. 
life insurance, um, email addresses. I, I even have in that love drawer, my service is completely planned out. The songs that I want sung, the scriptures that I want read, I have a poem that I want read. I even have a list of ministers to do my service. And just go through the list until one of them's not dead, and then that person can do my service. You say, for real? Yes. There's another thing that's in that love drawer, and it's this. It's a last will and testament. Everything you needed to know about Stephen Allen Knoll and Susan Alfield Louise Knoll is in here, right? Yes, we went and actually got our will. Now, you know what? I didn't like doing the will because you know what the will, when you're doing the will, it makes you feel like you're going to die. You will, unless Jesus comes. But this is a good thing to do because then you get to have your wishes carried out when you're gone. The things that are important to you are revealed in this will. And so you just need to suck it up, buttercup, and just do it. Now, we happened to be getting on a plane to go to Israel a few years ago, and our last will was like 25 years old when the kids were like that picture up there. And we realized that kids are all grown up, they got their own families, and we need to change our will. And so we just went in and we just got it done. I encourage you, if you don't have a will, get it done. And you know what? Just get it done and put it away and forget it. Because it'll be a very great investment for you to do. Another thing that really helped me, especially when my father died, is I read this book. It's called One Minute After You Die by Dr. Irwin Lutzer. You have all kinds of questions when death comes to your family. And you start wondering, what's on the other side of the curtain? What, 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 what's going on with them right now? How do they feel? And, and what's happening with them? And, and how do I deal with that? I read this book in one setting, and it was very, very encouraging. I encourage you to prepare for that somehow. The scripture says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In Psalms, it says that precious are those who die in the Lord. You know what I believe it is for a saint when we come to the end of our journey on this earth? I believe this with all my heart. The moment a believer closes their eyes on earth, they immediately awaken in the presence of God. There's no loss of consciousness. They are set free from the uh, barriers of this world when they come into that place of life on the other side. Today we're going to talk about a man, and, and he's known for this phrase, a man after God's own heart. Say that with me, a man after God's own heart. It's one, of our, it's one of our models that we believe in, that we want to be a people after God's own heart. I once did a series on David, and it was a very formidable series to do. How do you do a sermon series on the life of David. There is so much about this man that is so much to be, to be discovered and to be revealed. It's like very daunting. He's in the twilight years of his life. He's had heights of joy and ecstatic. And then he's had the depths of pain and failure and missing it. And yet he's learned to trust God in impossible circumstances. 
There's some significant moments in David's life. I'd just like to share a few of them, and I'd like to take a page out of Pastor Craig Brown's sermon, because I just loved what he did with this. You know what? I only have 35 minutes, but if I had more time, I'd love to tell you about the time when David was 12 years old, and he was tending his father's sheep, and, and he was out there taking care of them and protecting them, and there was this bear that came along, and David rose, something rose up from within him, and he went after that bear, and he killed that bear with his bare head. Oh, if I had more time, I'd love to tell you about the time when he was 14 years of age. And and David, again, was shepherding his father's sheep. And the prophet Samuel, God spoke to the prophet Samuel and said, Go to the house of Jesse, because in there you're going to find the future king of Israel. And so Samuel gets up and he goes to the house of Jesse. And Jesse's all excited because he knows he's got the next king of Israel. And so he parades his, his, I think it's seven sons in front of him, one after one, almost like some big parade. And they got their big chest up. Yes, I'm the next king. Of Israel, bless God. Bless God. And Samuel looked at each one as they paraded. He says, no, no, no. He says, God, did I miss you? Did I miss you? I thought I heard you. I thought you said to come to Jesse. And, and, the, and the prophet says, hey, do, don't you have any other kids? And, and he goes, well, do we have any other kids? Oh, yeah, we got one more. He's out in the field. Go get him. And it says that David was brought in. And, and David came before Samuel. And this is what happened. This is the man. And he anointed him to be the next king. And it says in scripture that the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Oh, if I had more time, I'd love to tell you about when David was about 16 years of age. and He was just around the house doing the chores. And and his dad came to him and Jesse says, hey, you know what? I'd like you to go down to McDonald's and get a whole bunch of Big Macs and big fries and take them to your brothers because they're up in the hill and they're fighting this war against the Philistines. And would you go and just kind of relieve them and give them some food? And so David goes and he gets that and he comes and and he finds all the army of Israel and they're all surrounded and they're sniveling and, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and David's going, what's going on with you guys? And then all of a sudden he hears this, fee fi fo fum some big seven-foot giant. And, and David looks at him and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? First of all, I don't know how he knew he was uncircumcised. And then he goes and he's, he says, who are you to defy the Lord God of Israel? Oh, come on, come on. And he grabs one of five stones. He only needed one. In fact, we used to sing a song in Sunday school about slingshot, you know. Bang, gone, done. Oh, I would love to tell you more about that. I'd love to tell you about the time when David was about 30 years of age. He had just become king of Israel. And the scripture says... When king, it was springtime, and when kings go off to war, David was in the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing. Hello? Pastor Ray Dean brought this really to our, to our attention just a few weeks ago. And what happened was he got involved with a lady he shouldn't have gotten involved with. And some bad things happened as a result of that. And, and it says in Psalm 32, after that moment, that his bones withered up or they they dried up in Psalm 32 that when he was silent his bones wasted away and finally the prophet Nathan shows up and tells him a nice story about lambs and beautiful thing and and David's all caught up in it and he's like whoa and then Nathan looks at David and says thou art the man and then there was that moment of contriteness do you remember that moment I'd love to tell you about the time when David's later in his life and 
or actually time before that, he was in the field and he was running from Saul because Saul wanted to kill him. And he met up with his friend, his best friend, his name is Jonathan, and they made this covenant in the field. Remember they made the covenant in the field? And they, they promised to care for each other's family. And then there came a time when Jonathan died, and David is now later in life, he's king, and he says these words, is there anybody in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? Think about that. After he was hunted by Saul to be killed, and then they go and say, well, I think that there is, this, there is someone in Saul's family. It's his grandson. His name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth is in Lodibar. He's kind of hiding away. He says, go and get Mephibosheth and bring him to me. And they brought Mephibosheth to him. He was a man who was lame in both feet because when his, his uh, servant was carrying him, he fell and he got lame in both feet. And David said to him, he says, you shall eat at my table. You shall eat my food. You shall live in my palace for the rest of your days and we will care for you. And then at the age of around 70, David passed away. Why was David called a man after God's own heart? It's not because he was sinless. It's not because he was faultless. It was because he had a heart that continued to realign itself with the will of God. You know what? There's hope for you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you did, I tell you what, if you can realign yourself to the will of God, there's a transformation waiting for you. And his final words to, to his son Solomon, 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, as for you, my son Solomon, know your father. Know the God of your father. That's an important deal, to know. And that's one of our main things here. Before anything can happen in your life, you need to know God. Do you know? I don't mean know about him. I mean know him intimately. Have a relationship with him. Not just talk about him. Serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. They, just take that stance. No matter you're going to be faithful, you're going to be loyal, you're going to serve him all the days of your life. For the Lord searches all the hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. Imagine David one day, young shepherd boy sitting on a grassy on a grassy knoll, no pun intended, that's my last name, and uh, the sheep are all around him, bah, bah, and I, can you imagine there's a little stream flowing down, and you can hear the trickle, 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 and David says these words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, what about the times that you're confused, and what about the times that you're uncertain? What about when you decide to take the law into your own hands? What about the times when you choose the wrong path and you make unwise decisions? What about then, David? What do you do then? Oh, when you submit yourself, when you realign yourself to him. Scripture says that he gently leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What about when sorrow comes? What about when the baby dies? What about when you're in the midst of incredible grief? When you encounter murder and incest in your own family? When your son is hung by a tree by his own hair? Where's the shepherd then? And David says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
What about the time when you blow it as a husband and as a father? David says, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O God. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me and restore unto me the joy of my salvation. What about when you have countless broken moments and there's no hope for me? Scripture says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what? David represents all of us. He represents me. He represents you. And what David says to us today is that there's hope. There's hope for you. When things are tough, lesson from David, he's my security. David said, when my heart is overwhelmed, oh, I go to the rock that is higher than I. Hallelujah. When your days are dark, he is your light. He is my light and my salvation. When you're weak, he is my strength. In my weakness, he is made strong. And when your life is foggy, he is your hope. Oh, there's an old song. I just ring with old songs. It just happens. Because I was raised knee-high to a grasshopper on a church pew. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. That was really good, people. <laughs> Y'all are good. Y'all did better than last night. There's a 92-year-old pastor who was asked by his, his pastor to come and to speak on a Sunday morning. He was well past the years of active ministry, and he wasn't really sure why he was asked to come and speak at, the, at his church. When it was his time to speak, he slowly walked up to the pulpit, and he, he grabbed both sides of the pulpit to sturdy himself. He said these words, when I was asked to come here today and to talk to you, your pastor asked me to tell you what was the greatest lesson I learned in my 50 years of preaching. I thought about it for a few days and it boiled down to just one thing that made the difference in my life that sustained me through all my trials. And that one thing that I always rely on when tears and heartbreak and pain and fear and sorrow seem to paralyze me. There's this one thing that I always remembered. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. 
Yes, Jesus, me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know. Though my hair is white as snow, though my sight is growing dim, still he bids me trust in him. When the nights are dark and long, in my heart he puts a song, telling me in words so clear, have no fear, for I am near. Though my steps are oh so slow, with my hand in his I'll go. On through life, let come what may, he'll be there to lead the way. When my work on earth is done, and life's victories are won, he will take me home above, then I'll understand his love. Folks, I've been doing this a long time. I presided over hundreds and hundreds of, of funerals, of memorials, and I have yet to hear somebody say these words. No one has ever said these words to me on their deathbed. Oh, would you go and get me my trophies? I want my trophies beside me on my bed. Would you go get my cars and my boats and my accolades and my diplomas? Would you please bring them to me so I can see them on my deathbed? I've never heard anybody say that. But you know what I have heard them say? Would you go and get my family? Even if there's a rift in the family because the family is the most important thing. David dies in Acts chapter 13, verse 36. It says, for David, after he had served the purposes of God in his generation, it says that he fell asleep and was buried among his fathers and passed away from this earth. Wouldn't it just be cool, Zach, at the end of your journey, when you're 95 years old, that you could say, we could say, for Zach, after he had served the purposes of God for his generation, fell asleep and was buried among his fathers as he passed from this earth. To say that for every one of us. Every living individual has a purpose for living on this, on this earth. Ecclesiastes says that he has placed eternity in our hearts. People try to fill that void with all kinds of stuff from the world. And you know what? It never satisfies. It's a God-shaped vacuum and only Jesus Christ can fill it. Would you bow your heads with me?